You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. All right, welcome to week two of uh, 119.101. We are talking about Psalm 119 and just getting the basics of it over the course of four weeks. Hope you're doing your homework reading this during the week so you pick up on some of the repetitive phrases. There are uh, some circular things that reappear over and over again, some unique phrases in there. One of the words that I love the most in this book or in this chapter, twice the word sojourn is in there. It talks about, I am a sojourner on the earth or the house of my sojourn. This psalm is grounded in the idea that the life we are living is temporal and temporary, that this is not how life will always be, and it's grounded in that. For some of you, that is the most important thing you can learn from Psalm 119, is the mess you are in or the pressure that you feel, this is a temporary situation. It is not the end all for you or for us. And so I hope that this, you're making this psalm a place that you rest over these last couple of weeks. I got a message from someone who uh, watches remotely on, on YouTube, and they mentioned that early in their Christian walk, they said, I had a hard time memorizing scripture, so I challenged myself to memorize Psalm 119, like go big or go home, okay, the biggest chapter in the Bible. And they said they stuck post-its on the baby changing table and in the bathroom and in the car and they sang it and they repeated it and they preached it to themselves and they wrote to me and said, to this day, I consider Psalm 119 an anchor and a firm foundation for life. I've gone back to it many times to take notes and digest it even deeper. Don't let the idea that this is just a single chapter fool you into thinking that it's simple or disposable. It is rich. And so we're not going to be able to ingest all of Psalm 119 in four weeks. That's impossible. What I hope to do is teach you how to think about it and appreciate it. And so for the rest of your life, you can go back and pull this apart and dissect it a little bit. Likewise, don't let the size of Psalm 119 give you the idea that it's impossible to get your head around. Like this person said, it is a really firm foundation for you to build a life on. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that this is an is a acrostic poem. It's 22 stanzas of eight verses each. Each stanza starts with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every line in that stanza starts with that same letter. For the sake of kind of finding our rhythm, we're going to be all over the chapter this morning, but we do want to focus and read a couple of those stanzas just to kind of settle our hearts. So stand with me, if you would. And let's read, it would be the second and third stanzas, Psalm 119, 17 through 32. Deal bountiful with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. 
Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Father, we ask right now that our hearts would be enlarged. As we lean into your word and your precepts, your law and your stories, God, that our hearts would expand to hold all that you have within us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, what we said last week is there's four big ideas in the psalm. There's more than four, but there are four that really stand out over and over again. The blessing of obedience to God's word, the power of God's testimony, the comfort of God's word in trial or affliction, and the guide of the Holy Spirit through God's word. Last week, we talked about that idea of the blessing of obedience to God's word, particularly as it leads us to the idea of blamelessness. Now, you can be culpable, you can be in doubt, or you can be blameless. Let me assure you, when things get hard, blamelessness is the sweet spot. That's where you want to find yourself. You don't need to look too hard in Scripture to find stories of people who maintained blameless hearts and it paid off for them. Your current situation, no matter how difficult it is, is not an excuse to cut corners on how God has taught you how to live or find yourself in a position of being blamed. Blamelessness is where he wants us to be. If you look at Daniel 6.4, here's a young guy who's in captivity, and this is how his captors speak about him. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, for he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Imagine the frustration of a captor who looks at the person they're holding captive and they can't find a reason. They can't find anything to blame him with. Now, that's not to say that Daniel's life was all smooth sailing. In fact, later in the chapter, he, he encounters significant trouble, but it is trouble because of his convictions. It's his trouble about his convictions of praying three times a day that actually causes him problems. Now, should Daniel have seen that coming? He was blameless. Yes, because trouble is unavoidable. Jesus said... You will have tacos? Tacos would be nice. But he promises us trouble. If you're in this world, you will have trouble. You find yourself in this world. If you're imagining some Jesus-centered life where everything goes perfectly and is easy, you did not read the brochure you were given. Because he told us trouble is coming. The question is, why will you have trouble? Will your trouble be because you are culpable or will it be because you have been blameless? The best we can hope for is that when they lower us into the ground, that those around will gather around and they will say that our troubles came from our convictions and not our compromise. 
that yes, the trouble that they had was because they stood for something rather than because they gave in. If you encounter trouble for your convictions, you will encounter glory for your convictions. And Daniel, who lived this life of blamelessness, was rewarded by God with the ability to see the forward story of history, not only for his life, but for all humankind. Later in the same chapter, or in the next chapter, Daniel 7, 13 to 14, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And he gets a picture of the age to come in part because he lived a blameless life and he encountered trouble for convictions rather than for his compromise. By being obedient in the moment, Daniel saw the future. Blamelessness in our lives will focus our hearts and our minds on what Jesus is doing and will better understand what he is about to do. So if we can live lives of obedience, we get insight into the future and our hearts are at rest with the present. Some of you are under such angst and strain because you're falling for the lie that what you've got is all you're ever going to have. And in obedience to him, he settles our hearts with how things are because we hook our hearts on the age to come. We go, okay, if we're obedient now, one day it will not be like this. So obedience settles our heart. It was the big idea that we talked about last week. Today we want to talk about the second big idea that has a lot to do with obedience. The idea of the power of God's testimony or God's story. I woke up this morning particularly thinking about this. Men, I want you to zone in on this. There's something here for everybody. But men, I want you to look for your role in God's story. Because you were raised to think that if it was going to be, it was going to be up to you and you had to make something happen. And as of now, you've looked around and you've gone, I am not very happy with what I have made happen. Let me just tip you off to something. Ten years down the road, if you don't embrace the story he's writing for you, you still won't be happy with what you've made happen. So men in particular tie into this. The word testimony or testify is used 23 times in this psalm. Repeatedly, the writer refers to the story that God has written and is continuing to write and will continue to write, and he writes you into his story. The God pictured in Psalm 119 is one that writes good, profound, sometimes complicated, always fulfilling, and blessed stories. And the psalmist takes every chance he can to mention it throughout the psalm. The challenge for us is not just to hear the stories, but to step into them and live in them. A couple of things about keeping the testimony or the story of God. First of all, the keeping of God's testimony directs you. Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. The blessing here is referred to those that have an active interest and pursue the story of God. Keeping is different than hearing. Keeping is more like contending for, leaning into, asking about, pestering, if you will. God, what about it? You said. Just like Christine was telling us this morning, Lord, you said, and I'm going to hang on to what you said, even in light of what I have. That's what it means to keep his testimony. Many of you really want to do something great for the Lord. It's in your heart. 
But it seems that every turn, when you, I, I'll do this for the Lord, or I'll do this for the Lord, it seems like a battle right and left. Why should it be so hard to do something for God? In some cases, it's because we are trying to do things that he is not necessarily writing into the story right now. And he's saying, I love your heart, but we're not at that part of the story yet. Don't run ahead of me. Live in the moment. Maybe it's because our approach is one that believes that God isn't doing anything right now, and so we've got to grab the pen and start to write for him. Friends, let me tell you, God is always moving. That song this morning was perfect. He's always writing. Much of what we're trying to do on his behalf doesn't gel with the story that he's writing at the moment. I can imagine God looking at our best efforts for our story and telling us, I'm writing an epic tome here. I'm writing my magnum opus, and you're coloring in the margins. Look at the story that I'm writing. Henry Blackaby was a Canadian pastor who went on to author more books than you can count. But they all had a very similar theme, and it was this. Watch to see what God is doing and joining him, him in it. Look around in your world and see what God seems to be breathing life on and joining in it. That's what it means to keep or participate in the testimony of God. To see what he's doing and help him with it. I'm not saying he can't use your dreams. I'm saying he's not looking to you for inspiration. He's got a plan. Blessed are those who keep his testimony who actively honor and pursue what he is doing on the earth. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this Christmas project with the mission is because this is something that's near to the heart of God. Care of widows and orphans. James tells us in 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word and is not in the original language. It mashes those things together. And it says, in caring for orphans and for widows, you literally keep yourself from being stained. It is, has a sanctifying effect on the hearts of those that jump into that because that's the story that he's writing. He is moving in a hundred ways around us. But when we keep or participate in the testimony that he's writing, we learn the next steps for our own life. Why? Because he said, you agreed to do what I was doing, now I can trust you with what I'm going to do. For those of you that are looking around going, I don't know what's next, look to what he is doing and join him in that until he can trust you with more. Blessed are those who see what he is doing and join him in it. The keeping of God's testimony or story, the participating with him, will guide your life. I have lost count of how many times Kelsey and I didn't know what was next. So you just do the next right thing. You just do, look around, Lord, what do you seem to be breathing on? Okay, we do that. And from that point, you get a little more. The keeping of God's testimony directs you. Second thing we learn in that vein of testimony is that the existence of God's testimony, the very fact that he has a plan, protects you. It is not fun to be without a plan, is it? To not know what's next? It is not comforting to not have a plan. The psalmist, who we presume to be David, but we don't really know for sure, lived a life that might have had 
unchosen adventures, okay? There may have been twists and turns like there are in your life, adventures that you found on yourself. That you just didn't, How did I get here? I did not ask for this assignment. I did not ask for this gift, and here I am. The idea of what I thought was going to be an adventure turned into a bunch of drama, and I did not want drama. Drama occurs when people introduce things to your life that you don't want to manage and they expect you to take care of. How many of you have ever had anybody introduce drama to your life? You did not want... It's like somebody who gave you a pregnant cat for your birthday. Thanks for that. Wasn't really thinking I was going to get this. Wouldn't have picked it for my... No, wouldn't have... Had you given me a gift card, this is not what I would have gotten with it. The psalmist faced drama on his own. There were people of influence who were plotting against him, and they were willing to use that force to move him into situations or difficulty that were not his doing. They were pouring on the drama pretty heavily. We're in a culturally high drama season, all right, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Lots of time with family. Lots of intense fellowship. And with that family, sometimes comes drama. One of my older sons drives Uber. He was driving on Wednesday night. Crazy busy night. He didn't realize why, but he said he had multiple passengers in his car referred to it as Blackout Wednesday. It's like, what's Blackout Wednesday? They said, oh, that's when you know you're going to be with your family all day tomorrow, so you drink on Wednesday night until you black out. People in such fear of the drama of this season that they would rather check out than deal with it. God has a better plan for you than Blackout Wednesday. It is to lean into his plan that he has for your life and let him help you navigate the drama that you just can't avoid. This is the psalmist here under pressure. Psalm 119, 22 to 24. Take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. I've been leaning into your story, God, so I need you to deal with this. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Now, some attacks come to you through the front door, some take some plotting and come in through the window, and in this case, they were plotting against the psalmist to introduce extra pressure and drama in his life. And he does two brilliant things. First of all, he takes it to the Lord. Lord, here's your cat. Okay? I did not ask for this, but I bring it to you. Some of you have made the mistake of feeding the cat, of petting the cat, of looking the cat in the eyes, and bonding with the cat. And now that drama is partially yours. Then the cat gets bigger. And if it gets big enough, it will do what all cats would do if they could, eat you. You know they're thinking it. Just look at them. Don't let the drama that is introduced to you by other people grow and foster in your life to the point where it takes you over. And the psalmist goes, I, you know, I know what I'm going to do with this cat. I'm just going to re-gift it. I'm going to take it to the Lord because I don't want this thing growing to maturity in my life. And then the second thing he does is he leans away from those who are causing the drama and the trouble, and he leans into the story of God for his life. God loves you, but I promise you everybody has a plan for you. 
Everybody has a plan for you. And he detaches from those and says, no, I lean into the testimony of Jesus for my life. You ever heard of alternative ending fiction? There are entire book series written about things in history that might have gone differently. Like what happens if you go back in history and Germany and Japan win World War II? And there are all these entire books written about, you know, the East Coast being held by Germany and, and the West Coast being held by Japan and the Midwest full of rednecks with 30-out sixes in their pickup trucks, which that kind of happened. But, you know, it's like there are all these alternative endings to what happened. Don't let someone else write an alternative ending to what God wants to do in your life. Don't let them plot against you and introduce things to you that get you off of the testimony that God is writing and onto the story that they're writing for your life. God loves you, but everybody's got a plan for your life. His plan is the one you want to zero in on. It is a plan of a good hope and a good future. To trust his testimony is to refuse to accept all these alternative endings that people try and force on you. Now, most of you talk to yourselves. Maybe audibly, maybe not. But you keep a running dialogue inside, and I have learned not to worry as much about do I talk to myself, but worry more about what do I say to myself. Let me give you a couple of things that are encouraging, faithful, and biblical things that in this season when you're under pressure from others that you can say to yourself, and you can take these to the bank. You can say... With the full support of the Lord, my story ends differently. You can say God's testimony over my life is one of faithfulness. You can say God's story over my life, over the arc of it, is one of good. You can say my story ends up differently than the messed up scene that I'm viewing right now. It doesn't end right here. The keeping of God's testimony directs us. The very existence of his testimony protects us. Just when you thought this was all warm and fuzzy, we were going to home feeling good. The spirit of God's testimony addresses our sense of entitlement. Make yourself comfortable. Okay? Because I'm not going to do it in the next few minutes. Because we all deal with way more entitlement than we like. Isn't entitlement ugly? Like when you see it in other people? It's the most repulsive, like how, who do you think you are? And then if you're honest, you turn around and realize you have some of the same hang-ups in what you think you are owed from society or your spouse or your kids or your job. Many of you looked around Thursday at your people at the table. And you were profoundly grateful. I mean, you were moved. Might have been the turkey, might have been the gravy, but there was some real affection in your heart and gratitude. And it spills over. I mean, the next morning, I had apple pie for breakfast. I had the whole same experience again. Thank you, Lord. It's a day of thanksgiving. And then it's Black Friday, and we go from this overwhelming sense of gratitude to total bitterness towards the person who took that parking spot in the store and may prohibit us from getting us that Black Friday deal on a 70-inch television that is our birthright. And we're like, we get in there and they're out. I, I should have, I was, I was entitled to that. 
entitlement is way closer to the surface than we realize if we look for it. Entitlement is this. It's the, think, it's the idea that we are not getting enough acknowledgement from other people. It's that we are not getting the promotion that we have earned. It's that we think that we deserve, after all we've done, for our kids to act a certain way. It's the idea that we want our spouse to respond to us the way we want to be responded to. Or that we didn't get that platform that we wanted and we knew would be so fulfilling. It, it's this sense of we deserved something. And here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we really did, but wake up, buttercup. It doesn't always work out. And when it doesn't work out, that heart that argues with that, that's still entitlement. That's still entitlement. It's whatever we think is rightfully ours, but we didn't receive because somebody didn't give it to us and maybe even we deserved it in a perfect world, but that ship done sailed and now we're wrestling with what we thought we had coming to us and we don't have it. And ugh, how could they treat us that way? Let me just, let me just demonstrate to you how petty entitlement can be. All right? And... If this is going to shake your faith in me, may just plug your ears. I don't know. But this is how it goes. The other night, my kids had an event up in the uh, middle part of town. So I drove up there, and I needed a place to study. And so I ended up at Chick-fil-A working on a sermon. Sitting there, man of God, digging into the scriptures at Chick-fil-A. And... I'm, I'm trying to study, and I'm trying to pray, and it's not going very well, just to be quite honest. And then a dad comes in with his kids, and the place is empty. He sits in the only booth right next to me. And his kids aren't being bad, they're just being kids. But they're bouncing off the wall. And I, and I literally mutter to myself, I did not expect to be 57 years old and writing sermons in Chick-fil-A. I just didn't see that coming. It's like, I, I wish I had an office. I wish I had a place. I, I, I'm 57. I just, something about being, you know, 56, 57. I'm 56 now. I lost track. 56. Time, it's moving pretty quick. But there's that sense of entitlement of, I thought by this, I, I didn't think it was going to be like this. And the Lord, as clearly as he ever has, spoke to me and said, do you know how many people would be overjoyed to be writing a sermon anywhere? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I was so embarrassed of that sense of entitlement, of why, why do I not have this, why is it not better than it is? That thing that wells up inside of you that says you deserve better is mixed with entitlement, and it's not pretty. Nobody's proud of it. Nobody puts it on display. Nobody puts it on their dating profile, okay? Characteristics. Joyful. A little entitled. Nobody puts those things. But it gets there when we don't get what we think is due. Gratitude is powerful, but the idea of entitlement rushes in quickly, and with entitlement comes every ingredient you have to develop a bad spirit in every part of your life. James 1, 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this? your passions at war within you you desire and you don't have and so you murder 
You want this, you thought you were going to get this, you didn't get that, you're frustrated, and it leads to murder. You're like, murder? That escalated quickly. You just wanted an office. But that sense of entitlement, you know, I don't think most of us are on the edge of murder. But that sense of entitlement of, I got rooked, and I want something better than I have, that's the same spirit. If you are walking around with a latent sense of getting ripped off by life, and you don't get the honor that you expect, and you don't get the recognition that you expect, if that becomes the focus for you, you're actually on very dangerous ground. It is the dark side of your spirit that is being fed and stirring up in your emotions. And I can't promise you that you're ever going to get everything you desire. In fact, you'll probably not get everything you desire or even not everything you deserve. But you can move away from that bitter root of entitlement that makes life so miserable when you embrace God's story for you. Psalm 135, or 119, verses 36 and 37 tells us, the more we listen to God's story, the less entitled we feel and the more we feel provided for by the Lord. It says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The psalmist here seems to draw a line or a contrast that we would rather not. That the more we are inclined towards God's testimonies or the story that he is writing for us, the less inclined we are to be selfish. And suddenly entitlement begins to drop away. Many people don't want to be selfish or live out of entitlement, but not, they're not ready to fully opt into what God's story is. So as a result, they're looking at their own standards of the way they want it, and they're always disappointed. To live without a consciousness of God's story for your life will always trend towards selfishness and entitlement. Until God's story for your life becomes the primary driver of your decisions and your emotions, there's only one other person in the equation to serve, and that's you. And nobody likes the idea of admitting to being self-serving. But if we're not following his story, that's what we're doing. You were called to live a bigger story than a story just about you. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, not only to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. For the whole earth is filled up in one word, you shall love your neighbors. You were called to a story bigger than just your own needs. And the more you focus on your own needs, the more you feel about not getting what you want, and the greater entitlement comes. Stepping into his story strips away that sense of entitlement. And you find yourself actually happier with what you have than you did when you were living just for yourself. Walking in God's story for me redirects my life from what I think I deserve to what he has for me. And I promise you, after decades of serving him, what he has for you is better than you would have, what you would have fought for anyway. This idea of entitling, entitlement, it's a little confronting. Touches a spot we'd rather not touch. But it's a part of us, and until we look at it honestly and embrace his story, we'll struggle with it. I want to skip to the last part of this. The depth of God's testimony gives us dignity. Referring back to that idea of entitlement, the dark part of us that always wants to get more and to get what we think we had coming, the part of us that knows we deserve the award that wasn't given to us, what are we really looking for in those situations? 
Is that plaque for being employee of the month really that important to us? Like, does that matter? I saw a picture the other day on social media where a guy was receiving employee of the month, had the plaque and everything, and the caption was, this is my brother Roy. He owns the business, and he's the lone employee. He gives himself this award every month. I know people who would find fulfillment in that. Like, it means that much to them to, to be recognized that if nobody's going to do it, they're going to recognize themselves. They're looking for validation somewhere. In embracing God's story for your life, you can break off the shame that comes from not being validated. You can break off the pain that comes from not being recognized. Some of you had visions of what you felt you were going to accomplish in ministry or in work or in life, and you're looking at the time and the trajectory and what you've accomplished, and you're realizing you're probably not going to achieve what you thought you might. And it's a little shameful for you. It is the adult version of what it felt like not to get picked in junior high for kickball. And you're feeling the weight of that, and it's even embarrassing that you feel like that. If you embrace God's story for life, your life, you can actually break off that shame. Because his story for you is better than the one that you wrote. Psalm 119, 29 to 31 starts with, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Don't let me put to shame. Don't let me live under the shame of what I thought I was going to do and I didn't pull it all off. Let me live in the testimony that you've written. Too many people cling to the story they're trying to write rather than the story of God. Let me give you hope. God writes really good stories. Psalm 119, 46 says, I will speak of your testimonies before the king, and I will not be put to shame. Lord, the story you're writing for me, I will be able to repeat in front of the biggest crowds, and I will have no shame in it, because it is a good story. Some of you are going, so when does this story kick in? <laughs> like, at what point do I start to see what he's writing and not what I feel like I've been entitled to? He's been writing that story for a long time. When you were conceived, he dipped his pen in your DNA and in the blood of his son, and he starts to write a story like you could not imagine. He told Jeremiah in 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, I've heard people read this and say, You can't apply this to us. We're not prophets to the nations. I'm not applying that part. Some of you may be. Most of you probably won't. But the part about him seeing you in the womb and starting to write your story, that's universal. God does not wait until babies are born to have a plan for their life. And he started your story way back when you were in the womb. But he didn't just infuse an embryo with a destiny. He is still writing your story today. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, who writes in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Today, the Lord has his pen to the page and is writing a story for you. And it coincides with the one that he wrote in the womb. You haven't achieved all that he has for you, in part because you're not ready for the next page of his story. You need to live the one that he's writing right now. If you're not content to, write the, read, or to live out the story he's writing right now with faithfulness and blamelessness, then you don't have the inward structure of character to live out the later chapters of your life. 
He was working on you when you were in the womb. He's working on you today. And his story is one that he will work until the end and when it is beautiful. Now, we've talked about Israel a fair amount this year. And I hope we've learned from this that, that through Jesus, we are grafted into that family. Yet some of us look at the Old Testament stories and the Old Testament passages like they are promises purchased at Ikea. Like when you get home, you still got to put the whole thing together yourself. You know, like, thanks for this, Lord, but there's a lot of work here. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. This is what's in the box. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He is writing a story for you. And in some cases, the most significant shift in your mental health in this season will be when you release your death grip on the story that you thought was being written and you embrace the one that he's giving you. And you say, Lord, I did not see it this way, but here we are together and I still believe that you have the pen in your hand. And I still believe that you're writing and I don't believe it's over. The story you've been trying to write on your own will never end well. It is one of entitlement and disappointment, and even if you achieve the goals that you thought you wanted, when you get them, they will not be fulfilling because they won't be the ones that the Lord had for you. Others of you believe this story of God exists somewhere, but you're still not quite sure how to latch onto it, and you're afraid you're going to miss it. Let me release you from that anxiety and idolatry. The God who writes the stories can accomplish the story. The one who makes the plan can make it all happen. I want to ask if Nick would come down. We're just going to go back into worship for a moment. I want to close with a short passage from Psalm 119. There are twists and turns and potholes and smooth roads between you and realizing the full testimony of God and leaning into that. Some of you have looked at events over the past years and you've given up guessing. I told somebody recently, I've thrown out my bingo card because nothing that was happening was actually on the card. Yet there is a plan being written by a sovereign God who loves you and wants to reveal it to you. And when you say yes to his story, not even fully knowing how it is written, he begins to move in you and you find that story. Psalm 119, 156 and 157 says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimony. Many are those that are coming against me from one angle or the other, but I'm not going to veer from the, to the right or the left. I'm going to zone in on your testimony and your story for me. Men and boys in the room, hear me. Yearn for the story of God over your life. I mean, hook your heart to that. There's something about being a man that wants to grab the pen and wants to, you're afraid the pages aren't going to turn fast enough. And what happens if I get to, you know, all of a sudden I'm 56, 57 and I'm writing sermons of Chick-fil-A. It didn't turn out the way I wanted. Yearn for his story. Women in the room, let go of disappointment 
of the story that you've got so far and trust that the story he is writing is better. There is so much wisdom in saying yes to the story of God. It is a better story than you will write. It strips away that entitlement that we hate when we see in ourselves. And it releases us to bless others. And suddenly our story actually becomes beautiful. Stand with me if you would. I want to take just a moment and pray for a few folks. Whatever you bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence right now to be manifest in our hearts. Begin to speak about how we interact with your story. Father, I ask that you would stir up memories and thoughts of even this past week where entitlement has rushed in and we have tried to write a story that we thought would end better and would appear to make us look better. And in doing so, we've, we've taken the pen from you. Holy Spirit, we give it back to you right now. We visualize that we hand a pen back to you and we ask you to write. Feel particularly stirred to pray for men this morning that would, in honesty, confess a little disappointment with their own story so far. A little wrestling. A little, this didn't turn out the way I thought it would, and I want to say yes to the full story of God. Guys, if that's you, men are called to do brave things. I want to encourage you to come down and, and stand down here. We want to gather and, and pray for you. You're, the story of where you're at, you just this is not what I thought was going to happen, and you're struggling a little bit with that. That's okay. Holy Spirit, begin to draw. Father, begin to speak to people about their own sense of dissatisfaction with the story that they've tried to write. Lord, we come before you this morning and we hook our heart to your story. Father, we ask that the story that